Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Today, we have Andrew Kirka, who is the reigning gold medalist in the downhill in the sitting classification at the Paralympics. He is headed to the Paralympics again. He was also a silver medalist from 2018 in Pyeongchang. Looking forward to some great results, but just had a big crash in training. Andrew, how are you doing? Um, doing well, Chris. Getting better every day. Uh, yeah, uh, leaps and bounds better. It seems like hour to hour. So that's, that's good. Um, I have no doubt I'll be ready for the games, um, at this rate. Cause some of that's scary, right? You said you broke your nose and you had a concussion. How, how is the concussion? Cause that's the, the unpredictable one, right? Yeah. The, yeah, the concussion is the unpredictable one, especially since I've had them before. Um, and I didn't just break my nose. I also uh, cracked my uh, nose into my cheek, like a little over an inch worth of a fracture just from where my nose is into my cheek to give you an idea of just how hard I hit my face on the snow. Broke your nose into your cheek. So you literally were like moving the the bone of your nose over onto a side of your face is this what's happening um i don't honestly i don't really know <laughs> um i what happened was i hit my face so hard flat on the snow that it cracked my cheek um and it cracked it from you know the hole of where your nose is it cracked it into my cheek just under my right eye so that yeah, that's what happened. And like I was telling you, like before we started this, like it was uh, it was just kind of a freak accident. My binding came undone. Um, unlike we've ever seen it come undone before, it came undone like horizontally. And uh, the tip of my foot just dug straight into the snow and it slingshotted me. Um, very, very similar to, I think, like how tyler walker's uh crash in in sochi was yeah except for i wasn't up in the air and then caught the tip of my ski um it was just the the base of my mono and then it flung me straight forward onto my face um i did black out but i kept like i kept sensational consciousness at least like i could still feel myself moving as i tumbled and slid down the snow but i couldn't see anything for a little while wow and so by the tip of your boot what you're saying is that's the boot that's in your mono ski so the piece that clicks into the binding right that's yeah what you mean by yeah. The boot? yeah exactly so i just came out horizontally and it hooked the snow at 60 miles an hour whatever i was traveling it was downhill so I was traveling pretty quick. It just came out and without warning, caught it and flung me. I didn't even have time to protect myself. So it stops you abruptly and then suddenly you're catapulting in the air like Tyler did. Wow, that sounds like that sounds like every mono skier's worst fear, Andrew. It sucks. I mean, I don't know if it's my worst fear, but it uh, it hurts. Uh, the worst part of it was just that I didn't have any warning um, and to end up end up hurt without any warning sucks. Uh, uh, Tyler didn't have memory of his accident. I think how lacking memory is worse than than what happened to me for sure. I would rather I would rather what happened to me than than lacking memory. At least I know at least I know what happened. I remember the sensation of what happened. I can remember and feel what happened. I can recall what happened. Um, it's just uh, really unfortunate the way that it happened. Have you been back on snow? Because this happened, what, five days ago? Uh, I have not been back on snow. Okay. Not I will snow. not. Yeah, I will not get back on snow until 
uh, just prior to the games, probably when I arrive in China. I think I just now um, am able to fully pass concussion protocol. Uh, I, I, uh, I passed my scat tests uh, the day after. I actually passed my scat tests the day of. So my cognitive function was not impaired by any means. But can you tell people my, what scat test is? Yeah, well, uh, uh, scat test is uh, essentially a cognitive test to show that your brain is still in functioning order. Um, so they do a series of memory tests and then a series of um, verbal commands and um, psychological tests. Like they make you say your months backwards. They give you 10 different numbers. Uh, they give it to you in forward order and you have to repeat them uh, backwards in the correct order. Uh, you have to remember 10 words. Um, and that's, that's basically it. Uh, so it's just a, it's, a, it's a cognitive test to show that you're still uh, fully mentally capable. And I've never lost my mental capabilities. So that was good. That shows that uh, I didn't have like extensive bruising or damage to my brain, but I did have fogginess and a headache and um, a pretty broken nose and stuff like that. Wow. Okay. So, so you passed the SCAT test right afterwards, you said, so there's no cognitive issue, but then you still have, you still just passed the, 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 the concussion protocol though. Um, yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Wow. So, so like a concussion protocol is based off of a series of numbers, uh, one through five based off of your general sensations. So um, do you still have a headache? Is light still bright? Um, do you have a memory decline? Are there other issues? So um, there's 15 different questions that you all rate one through five. Um, and depending on how those rates is depending on whether you can start being active or get back to moving again. Um, and I think there's uh, 10 questions all rated at five or something like that. And that's, you can't have more than a 10 out of 50. So one, one is no problem and five is a big problem. Um, zero is no problem. Zero five. is no, oh, oh, I thought you said it was rating yeah. one to five. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So zero to five. Yeah, zero to five. With the objective of actually zero, it means that you're totally fine. Yeah, zero, zero means, yeah, I don't have any issues. One means I have minimal issues or they're hardly even there. Five means I don't want to get out of bed. Okay. How are you feeling now sort of in terms of mental framework? you know, approaching the biggest race in four years kind of thing? Um, you know, mental framework's never really been much of a thing for me. It's always kind of go out there, do what I know how to do, do it to the best of my ability and uh, see what comes of it. And that's where I'm sitting right now. I mean, currently I've had, it seems like disadvantage after disadvantage uh, going into these games, you know, uh, which is really unfortunate but I still have a chance of winning and I still have a chance of gold and um, I don't podiuming. Uh, I is definitely like definitely very there for me. Like I'm without a doubt, one of the best in the world. Uh, the gold, the gold medal will happen if I don't make any major mistakes. Um, uh, it's just the chances of making a mistake increases with injury like this. And with disadvantage, the, the disadvantages that are placed on me, you know, not competing in downhill in two years, things of that nature. Um, I have competed in more downhill this season or trained more downhill this season than I have in four years. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, as far as that's concerned, I, I feel like I'm, I'm ready. And 
uh, from what I've seen the and from what I've heard, the course in Beijing seems pretty prime. So that's uh, that's exciting. Uh, prime courses with those type of conditions tend to do really well for me. Ah, uh, very good. Well, so because you were saying at World Championships after after the downhill and the super g and then winning the super g part portion of the super combined that this was a really good start for you you know and you're talking about these things that have gone wrong do you still feel like you have that momentum or can recreate that momentum as you get to be beijing oof you know it feels 50 50 right now um just because all of my opponents are training these two weeks leading into the games <laughs> and i'm not because my face is broken so there's um there's a fine line uh there's a fine line there um and i'm definitely writing it and i'm gonna see what it is that comes and uh you know worst case scenario it just makes it more exciting because uh going into pyeongchang i was a heavy heavy favorite for the downhill and to win the downhill by 1.6 seconds was um was substantial uh and uh that was just a, a dream come true and then going into this games uh it might be a little bit tighter uh because of the disadvantages that have been placed on me and uh you know what that's okay it makes it more exciting and uh, i would rather a hard-earned silver medal than an easy earned gold uh any day of the week right exactly harder earned silver medal so what's because, because I mean, I've I've watched you, and one of the things is like you know how to ski. You're not going to forget how to ski, but sometimes it's like we need that sort of daily reminder and the training and getting getting there incrementally. But to get there, and know that you can do what you've said you can do, you know, or or that you you've always done. That's the in some ways that's the that's the challenge always for a big event is like okay, let's let the body take over and do what's supposed to do as opposed to doing all this thinking. Do you have any, any kind of strategies to help yourself do that as opposed to, you know, the brain taking over going, oh, it doesn't feel quite right or this or that, or I need to, I need to think about this or how do you, how do you handle that kind of pressure? I think I, I focus on the things that I need to do and that's it. So it's the same reason that people consider me fearless um, or the same reason that people say that I'm dangerous or, you know, whatever it is. It's because uh, when I push out the start gate, I focus on the things that I need to do, the um, things that involve success, and that's it. Um, uh, you know, uh, when you start when you start a work project, you know, um, let's say you start to build garden beds halfway through, you don't say, oh man, in the midst of building these garden beds, uh, this is, this is harder. I'm not going to be able to do this if I don't follow the instructions. <laughs> oh, wow. This isn't tough. I can't complete this. Um, it's the same way in my mind. Uh, when I go out there and I'm competing and I'm racing down a race course, I just follow the instructions. Um, I follow what I need to do. Um, I follow what my coaches tell me to do. And I take the, depending on uh, how I'm feeling at the time, uh, either the, the safer line or the faster line. And uh, it also depends on the course and the conditions and things of that nature. And um, luckily, uh, I have enough knowledge now in my back pocket to where I know when and where and how to pull it out. Are there, are there any things when you're competing that you think, I need to make sure that I do this, I need to make sure that I'm committed to this part of the, of the technique or, or this part of the tactics of competing? All the time, all the time, uh, uh, all the time. Yeah, I'm all the time, all the time dedicated to certain intricacies that I need to do, and it's always my focus. Um, never stop learning is kind of one of my big things that I've learned throughout my career. Um, irony, uh, and it's <laughs> and it's finest saying that, but uh, 
I, I always want to learn. And so whenever I enter a race, there's always something that I focus on physically that I need to do. I call it a soft focus and then there's a hard focus. So uh, the hard focus is the thing that I need to make sure to do with my body. Then the soft focus of the different focuses that happen uh, while in the course, you know, oh, I need to make sure I'm right here uh, off this jump. I need to make sure that I'm I have this certain direction coming around this turn. I need to make sure that I'm here in in this area. And so I need to make sure that I am in those different spots. Those are my soft focuses and my hard focuses. You know, maybe uh, it's something as simple as maybe keep my shoulders in a certain position or flex my core um, a certain way or keep tip pressure, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, those are, those are my hard focuses. So I have a, a hard focus, which I focus on for the entire time. Then I have a soft focus, which I focus on in the course. And I do the same thing. Um, when I'm doing my free runs, uh, unlike a lot of athletes, I do free runs constantly outside of the course prior to the run. I will only show up probably 15, maybe 20 minutes before I run. That's because I'm doing my best to emulate the uh, course in my head and in my body um, while doing free runs. Mm-hmm. Just patterning that whole that whole course in in your in your body movements, but also in terms of how your mind is reacting to you know the 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 turns that are coming up and so that you don't really ultimately have to think about it i've always thought that that's the the objective get in the course and get to a point where you don't really have to think about it is that the same objective for you uh yes for me it's it's more like when it's coming at me be a uh be as prepared and on top of it as possible i think um I, I like, I definitely think about the course I find for me personally, um, like when I was wrestling instinctually, I would go out there and I would, uh, you know, let the moves and let everything flow instinctually. But for me, it, everything is a constant thought while I'm going down the course, actually. Oh, really? Interesting. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, cause I, it's better for me to stay relaxed and have a constant, uh, method of thought. Um, because I think with inspection, I'm able to be like, okay, right here, right there, right here. And it makes things go slower in my mind. So, um, yeah, for me, that's my personal preference. So Uh, for you, in, in some ways, it's almost like, like a checklist kind of thing. Exactly. Right here. Okay. Check, check the next one. Okay. I'm at that jump. Okay. There's another check. Okay. Okay. Exactly. But yeah, it's, uh, I've always been a goal orientated person. And I think uh, setting those small goals and then achieving them one at a time, you know, uh, in a career, uh, in a course, whatever it may be. Um, that's just the way that I've found works best for me. Perfect. That's great. Yeah. How is the new rig working? So you are, you're in a Toyota rig, right? Which, which has nothing to do with the, the binding kind of issue that you just had. Yeah, nothing to do with the binding issue. The binding issue was a marker <laughs> issue. <laughs> but uh, in their defense, the binding was probably 15 years old. Right. So. And that's a binding that, you know, I mean, there are guys, I mean, Marcel Hersher and uh, Christofferson are on different equipment and have actually gotten permission to use marker binding. So it's, it's one of the most highly sought after bindings out there. It sounds like this was a freak thing. And maybe if it was 15 years old, that might've been part of the problem too. Yeah, it definitely was a freak thing and it might've been. So uh, the rig is, is very doing just fine. Uh, It's Toyota rig. Uh, It's faster than any other rig I've ever skied before. Um, and with that comes, um, a a method of control that uh, I need to acquire and adapt to. Um, so like I said before, it's, uh, it's a highly engineered new piece of Sitski equipment. Um, it's more aerodynamic, faster, nicer than anything we've ever seen before. Um, and the geometric shapes of it. 
uh, are literally built to accelerate you, not just with the ski and with gravity, but also with the compression of the shock and decompression of the shock systems. So um, for me getting used to it, um, I'm still getting used to it <laughs> on a daily basis. It's very fast. How long have you been using it? Just this year? Just this year. So, um, and it's a very comfortable rig. I was able to hop in it and start racing right away, but still the uh, little differences and intricacies of it, I'm still learning. Um, so, so yeah, so that's that. Uh, it's, it's just kind of a, another one of those things that I, I'm, I'm learning on top of, of everything else, but like it's, I, I definitely couldn't say no because it's the fastest sit ski I've ever been in by far. You can literally feel yourself accelerate out of every turn when you compress it. Um, it um, it's unlike anything. Uh, it's, it's hard to keep control of. So you have the speed and you just have to be able to rein in that speed or, or manage that speed so that you have the control. Is that what you're exactly. saying? And it's exactly it. And that's kind of been the story throughout my entire career. And now it's just a little bit more than it was before. <laughs> well, this is, yeah, this is kind of you to a T, right? You've always yeah. had the speed. You just have to find the finish line in order to show the speed that you have. Exactly. Um, and so uh, they threw the, they threw the Sitsky at me and they were like, here, be faster. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> Let's do that now. Uh but it's 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 going really really well um i don't know if you had a chance to watch me at world championships um and see how the the rig performed but uh the rig performed really well i had some major mistakes um in the downhill which i still managed the bronze medal and then uh, i had a major mistake in the gs and again still managed the bronze medal and then uh, i managed a silver medal just by ever so slight amount uh at the next world cups um so i'm uh i'm gradually increasing um with my control and my my speed of the rig i'm i'm reining in that fine line um so uh if if i had this week um worth of training uh i have no doubt that i would have reined that in even tighter mm -hmm. um but i guess uh, i might as well give everyone else a chance so well it's just uh, one of those things at this point you're showing up and you're just going to do the best you can which in some ways is is easier than coming in with expectations of like okay i'm just going to do what i'm supposed to do and let's see where the where the chips fall kind of thing which yeah in some ways it could be a benefit for you yeah you know that's that's true. That's a good way of looking at it. Um, for me, it's, uh, this is a pretty big portion of my career. This is the largest, this is the largest I've ever been in my career. And so all of the pressure for me is coming from the, uh, opportunity to form my future, um, as an athlete and an individual. Um, that's where the pressure is coming from. It's not from wanting to win. What do you mean uh, I don't, by that? The opportunity to form your future. Um, so I have opportunity to make uh, sponsor income and you know do form form my future after skiing. <laughs> you know, uh, ski racing. It can't be the rest of my life. I'm only going to do it for probably four more years. You know. Sure. Um, so this after. is setting yourself up, having having the resume. And, and, and also being able to make the money as you're going along from sponsors, which there are great opportunities. I mean, Toyota is one of those sponsors that is put in, I mean, one, you drive a Toyota now, right? I mean, drive a Prius, uh, is that right? I, yeah, and a Tundra. And a, and a Tundra, okay. Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> at first I had seen a Prius back in the day. Did you get a Prius uh, first or the, not? Yeah, yeah, the first one I got was a Prius. Okay, uh, and now you've uh, moved in, to Tundra. You know, Chris, I've always wanted a Prius. I was very, very happy when I got the Prius. And a lot of people tease me about it. But, man, I get 76 miles per gallon. And I've never been happier. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Especially as gas prices continue to go up, right? 
exactly this so this rig is this so takimori one of your competitors had a fair amount of input into creating this rig didn't he and, and this started no. a while ago right or or no, is this something no, unique to to what you're doing this is something unique to what i'm doing so takimori uh was the original with toyota japan to develop this rig um in toyota japan um he was uh one of the first to develop a uh, sitski um this one is developed by toyota racing development um out of north carolina uh -huh. so this is uh it's developed a bit different it's still developed by toyota but it is 100 made in america 100 uh, developed in america um johnny floyd and um trish i forgot her last name um engineered it it's they're like the nascar engineers they're they're the the real deals they're super cool people um i felt very small when i went down there to first test out this rig and to see it um just being in their shop and seeing these people uh it didn't make me feel uh that i had earned being on the level of which i am yet uh, <laughs> um that's that's i don't know if i i, I guess it's the best way to put it uh, uh i'm really happy to have them behind me and have them caring and looking after uh me in this monoski helping to adapt it they've done a really 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 good job and uh Nothing on that thing is cheap. No. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't have any idea what kind of dollar figures we're talking about, do you? Uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> One machined part is $20,000. So Really? And so yeah. these machine parts, these are part of your part of your frame. So what were, what were the things that you were trying to achieve with this, with this mono ski? I mean, you talked about that it's faster than anything else that accelerates use, utilizing the shock. Uh, but you, so in a mono ski, you have a variety of different things, right? I mean, one, you have, you have the frame. So like torsional stiffness, you want all that pressure, all the, the, the angulation, the pressure that you're putting into, into the ski, you want that all to go into the ski as opposed to dissipating in your frame. The shock is your contact with the ground, the way that it fits, the weight. What were the things that you were looking for that were going that make this better than other ones? What I was looking for when I first got in it was I was looking for comfort and consistency. So um, I already know that I'm fast, but I needed a ski that I could control. Uh, and it is definitely more comfortable and definitely more consistent than anything else I've ever skied in. It certainly um, it manages and handles a lot of the bumps very well um, when you're moving over them, especially at high speeds. I've never had a bucket that I could sit in that's so comfortable ever before in my life so that is very so that's exciting. the actual seat part of it you're talking about yeah the actual seat part of it wow okay so so that it's kind of interesting because you're talking about the comfort and the consistency but prior to this you were talking about that it's that it's really fast but you need to be able to control it so, so with with comfort and consistency i I always believed that I would be able to control it and um, it is very fast. So there's, there's the, the fine line there. And that's why I'm able to rein it in. I think I'm able to get used to skiing on it so quickly is because there's the comfort and the consistency on one side, you know, and then there's the speed and danger on the other, I suppose. Um, the comfort and consistency kind of canceled the other one out but I need, I still need to learn that fine line of how fast I can go while still controlling it. And, and part of that is that this has been one year that you've been in this ski, right? So you're still yeah. getting to know 
its idiosyncrasies in some ways. Uh, 100%, 100%, man. A uh, little, bit, little bit more time on the rig and I would definitely be faster. Um, but I don't have a choice, so I'm going for it. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Um, and, you know, Toyota's made the pledge to be a movement company, you know, and that's kind of where this whole thing comes from is from the fact that they want to get people moving. They want movement to happen and they're dedicated to making it happen for people of all types and in all situations. And the Toyota racing development is dedicated to making movement happen in the fastest way possible. And that, that's where this monoski and that's where I come in. You know, they said, let's give you freedom. Let's give you movement and let's, let's, let's put you here and uh, let's give you the best opportunity you can to win. And I said, all right, I'll, I'll be your test dummy. Let's make it happen. Is anybody else racing in this monoski? Lori Stevens is. So Lori is the only one. So it's only the two of you from yep. the U.S. who are racing in this Toyota racing monoski. That's right. TRD, TRD monoski. And can you, you give to? us any, any like specs on this that are, that are different? Like is the weight different? Is the stiffness different? Uh, you know, those kinds of things. Uh. Let me tell you I get the most simple thing. I think it is over-engineered to the hilt. <laughs> um, over-engineered so, meaning it's not going to break. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that is something that is um, very comforting. Not, not just that, but um, to, to give you an example, the shock that sits on it, um, I probably move two to one on this shock due to the way that it's engineered compared to any other sit skis, uh, any other sit skis on the market. Um, the way that it's engineered, my body and butt in this rig move um, like two inches for every one inch that it moves on the shock. So there's uh, definitely uh, a higher compression ratio, which keeps, uh, my well first of all it keeps me able to absorb bumps a lot better i just flow over them and um and it's very comfortable that's really that's that's that's, <laughs> that's really what it comes down to uh i don't feel bumps uh, hardly at all um yet my my shock settings that I had in my other previous rig, they took them in and they uh, analyzed the entire shock curvature and then copied that over to this one. Um, but I have twice as much motion through this shock, um, through my body with it. So that's pretty cool. So I'm not sure if I understand that exactly. So, because yeah. I mean, we talk about with the shock that we have the travel of the shock, you know, and that's a finite number, right? That usually three and a half, four inches, something like that of travel. But it sounds like you're getting additional movement that is not necessarily related to compression of the shock. Is that, is that what you're saying? Uh, no. So when they engineered this shock or this monoski, sorry, um, and they installed the shock, um, they put it horizontal, not vertical. So if you were to think of shocks being vertical, mm -hmm. uh, you're only able to move four inches down on this shock. Um, they put it horizontal and some of the gear ratios that are in this Sitski as I compress my body, um, if I move down four inches, on my body or through the rig, I'm only moving about two inches down through the shock. So as a, as a result of it being placed horizontally, it's, it's allowing, it's affording you a, a greater, effectively greater travel through your body, 
but but the shock is still is still is still it can only move as far as it can move right so 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 the horizontal exactly. placement is, is is what is allowing you to absorb bumps and and feel bumps less one of the biggest problems for a mono skier is that we really have just the shock where a standing skier has knees hips and ankles so they have considerably more travel so so effectively what this is doing is is increasing your ability to absorb those bumps with the same shock just the placement of the shock is is creating the difference the engineering of the rig is what's creating the difference so there's that and then there's the comfort of sitting in the sitski how about the feeling of getting onto the edge? One of the biggest challenges oftentimes for a mono skier is, is starting the turn. And, and what, what is that like for you in this ski? Um, well, it's too easy. Uh, it was too easy initially. Um, we moved, we did some adjusting to make up for the way that I ski. Um, and it still skis very easy. Um, it does really, really like to get on edge. And that was something that I had to adapt to because I've never sat in a sit ski. So custom made to my body before, or, um, there's, there's no, there's no free movement in any of the joints. There's no free movement in the bucket. There's no free movement in any portion of this monoski. The most free movement is probably in the binding where uh, the foot clicks into it. Um, so effectively, we're talking like no slop really in this. None whatsoever. Like almost like sitting on a cloud when you're skiing it. Um, she doesn't feel as connected to the snow, even though she is in, in the Sitski. So it, it does, it very much feels like you're floating on a cloud. It, it kind of absorbs and handles everything. Um, and for, for me, it's been wonderful. So you like that feeling it, it, I mean, you're sitting on a cloud, it's, it's comfortable. It's, it's a smoother ride than you're used to. Does that, does that change the input that you get in terms of your ski on the snow? Uh, no. Okay. It doesn't. Yeah, no, it's definitely way better because like I said, it, it feels like I'm on a cloud, but the ski turns right away there's no there's no there's no wasted movement there's no wasted movement in my body when it translates to the ski and from what um, you were saying before it sounded like you were saying that initially it turned too easily like it was almost it was almost yeah, yeah, yeah. twitchy right so this is a and especially when you're talking about in a downhill where you're going 60, 70 miles an hour and you're going straight, you don't necessarily want the ski to be to be twitchy. Uh, how have you managed that, managed that feeling or, or what have you done to, to, to make it feel like the ski wants to go straight as opposed to wanting to turn? I did the same thing I did in the test. I moved it back. back. I moved it back onto the tail. Move the ski back further. Okay. So I brought my center. Yeah, I brought, well, what I did was I brought my center of gravity in the ski mm -hmm. um, more onto the heel piece. Yeah. And so what that did was that brought the pressure off the tip. So I moved forward onto the tip to initiate it and it hooks up and goes no problem. Um, and, uh, and that's it. That's literally all I did that helped me to control uh, the turnability of this rig for sure. Right, exactly. Now, looking at world championships, one of the things that, that to my eye, you did differently in the actual Super G 
versus and 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 downhill to a certain extent as well versus the the super, the run of super g that you won in the combined was you you've moved the your center of mass back but at the same time it, you looked so much stronger on that steep pitch in the super combined uh super g when you were you were projecting your your upper body down the hill as opposed to kind of getting getting into that position where where your body was back as well so the ski was back and the body was back is that one of the things that you're thinking about um that's one of those things that i was feeling out and fine-tuning there i was also working on a few different shock adjustments um i had uh i had blown a few shocks <laughs> uh in this rig and uh once we had switched it out and we had gotten uh to some proper adjustments it uh was handling quite a bit better and the the thing crazy the crazy thing is and i've never had this before is that uh, i can race on this rig whether the shock's blown or not like comfortably and safely like I can, I can race on it. It's just not as fast. Um, and when you, when you train on it to learn to compensate for the speed managing a certain way. And are these uh, the Toyota people who are helping you to the Toyota racing people who are helping you to do these shock adjustments or are these your coaches or who's, who's doing that with you? Toyota, Toyota, they okay. sent, they, so they sent me a, uh, they sent me a, a shock curve ratio. Mm -hmm. And so I know like what everything on this shock does when I move it. Um, and it changes, it changes in the shock curve. Like I can go into my computer, whatever I can ask them what this does and it changes the curve a certain way. And that way I know, what I'm looking for in the sensation that I'm looking for. So, so they're sending you this information, but they're not actually on the hill with you. Yes. Well, they were at one point. Okay. They, they came out and they had that thing hooked up with all kinds of different mechanical haikus and whatnots. I have no idea what they are, but it was pretty cool. Um, and they could tell me all the little different idiosyncrasies of what I was doing and where the apex of my turn was, where I have a tendency to pressure my turn, what my shock does when I pressure my turn, all kinds of different things. So that was pretty cool. It gave me a good advantage um, over my competition, I feel like. Where, where, where did that happen? Where were they when they were doing that, that, that test thing? That was in Switzerland uh, in fall time, springtime, fall time. Right. So this was your, this was when, when you were in, um, in Zermatt, is that where you guys were? No, uh, Mount Hood, Oregon was where they first started with the testing. And then, uh, sauce face, Switzerland was where they ended it. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. And Mount Hood. So this is really, sort of like pre-season kind of you know you're, you're doing your training but you're not into your competition yet so they were they were there for part of the, for the training part exactly this was when i first switched skis has lori had the same kind of response to the ski that you have the the skiing on a cloud and that kind of thing no she i don't she doesn't seem to have uh the same positive um output is what i do but her skiing has positive output so it's 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 tough <laughs> you're gonna have to talk to her about that okay i didn't yeah. know if you guys are talking amongst yourselves going hey i'm feeling this are you feeling this or those kinds of things if you're going uh, back and forth a, a little bit kind of but um the way I do things is very different than the way she does things. We couldn't, we really honestly couldn't be more, more polar opposites um, when it comes to this, this type of thing. <laughs> so, right. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. Which is, which, which makes sense. And that's, and, and it's also, yeah, new equipment sometimes is one of those things that some people gravitate toward and other people, it takes them a long time. And then you get the one thing that they kind of makes it all, all make sense or something, but sometimes that yeah. takes a little while. Yeah. Lori, uh, she, she seems to have mixed reviews. She does really, really well sometimes. And then other times she just feels uncomfortable. Hmm. So, and for you, are there certain conditions that are, that are better where you, you know, is it soft snow? Is it hard snow? Is it bumpy snow? Are there things that you think, okay, now I have a real advantage or now is when I feel really most comfortable on this rig? Uh, firm snow. I would say definitely firm snow, sometimes salted firm snow, but uh, for me, firm snow is the best, like just uh, a hard grippy firm snow. Um, I'm able to move the rig around and do what I need it to do. And that that's primarily in super G and GS and in downhill uh, grippy, grippy and soft works. Um, anything, anything that I can really set an edge into and just hold an edge, man. I really like downhill. Um, going straight from edge to edge is my peas and carrots. It's my butter balls. I really like it. Right. That thing of just yeah. arc to arc to arc, just riding that clean ski the whole way along. Yeah. About... That's my, that's my thing. That's <laughs> your thing. Right. And, but you will run the super combined in China. Is that true? Um, yeah. 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 And, and uh, honestly, honestly, if I uh, go out and I do well in the downhill, the super G and the GS, or I do well in two out of three, then uh, I'll give someone who's maybe more of a slalom skier. Um, who's coming into the games, you know? Okay. Um, so you're not, yeah. slalom's not exactly, I mean, not the, you ski slalom fine, but, but it sounds like it's not really your, your greatest interest to ski slalom. It's not my greatest interest to ski slalom. I'm fast at slalom and it's always tough for me because I'm a good slalom skier. Um, but I don't like hitting my head repeatedly on slalom gates uh it gives me a headache and it's not that fun um yeah that's really all there is to it <laughs> um, well and, and for people who are listening the reason that he's hitting his head is that in a mono ski you don't really have anything to protect yourself you are you know with with a standing skier they have their hands to clear the gate where in in a monoski, if you're making a good turn, you don't really have that ability. I mean, short of like Pedersen is a guy who clears it with his with his outrigger, and he does a really good job of clearing it with the outrigger and maintaining the turn, which can be really challenging for a lot of other people to uh, to maintain the turn and clear that gate. So this is why you get hit in the head sometimes because your head is the only thing <laughs> the only thing to come in contact with the gate. Yep, it really is. Um, and I cross. I've I've recently started cross blocking a lot as well. well the problem is, is um, there's a factor. There's a factor issue there. Like when you have the he's an eleven. He's an eleven, and so he's able to cross block the gates and moving at a slower pace. Mm -hmm. He's able to get a better factor. Uh, being a twelve one or a twelve two, the uh, rate at which we have to move is quite a bit faster and I'm just not willing to train myself to cross block that fast yet. <laughs> I'm more of a downhill skier. Yeah. Um, and, but I can, I can cross block a course and maybe you'll get a chance to see it at the games. Okay. Well, maybe we will. What yeah. about, what about that competition? We mentioned Jesper, uh, urine capture is another one. Uh, Di Silvestro, I mean, there's some, you guys have the, all four of you won runs in at the world championships. What are you, what yep. are you looking at in terms of the competition? Um, well, man, you know, uh, Yarun and Jesper are 
both very consistent and both very fast. And they've been doing this since they were like three years old. Um, and I, I feel like that plays a really good, a really good advantage into their hands in a lot of these different situations. Cause I broke my back, you know, when I was 13 and didn't start racing until I was 16. Um, so I have a little bit of a disadvantage, but where I, where I make up for that is, is uh, my, my willingness to go. And I think where D Silvestro make up for that is our willingness to, to go and our consistency. So um, Jesper and Jeroen, when they're competing with each other, uh, one of them kind of ends up messing up or having an issue a lot of the times. Um, because they're really heavily competing with each other. And then uh, Di Silvestro and I are oftentimes able to sneak in there. I feel like that's kind of where the advantage is, is, you know, staying, staying consistent, let, letting their competitive nature um, beat, beat themselves. They're good. It's, it's, it's really a toss of the die. The only, the only thing I have a solid chance of beating everyone in is downhill. That's my, that's my main event. Uh, as far as it comes to Super G and GS, man, it is, it is an all-out brawl. <laughs> it, yeah. It's an all-out brawl. I mean, I looked at Campshire in the, in the World Championships, in the Super G at the World Championships. He actually had the, the 12th fastest raw time of the day among the men, which was amazing. So it was only LW6.8s and LW4s that beat him. That was some amazing speed. Yeah. He, he arced it from top to bottom. But again, the, the thing is, is when he's arcing it from top to bottom like that, uh, he can't stay in control most of the time. It, it's, it's the big risk. And we saw that the next day, right? In the Super G portion of the... Not just the next day, but we saw it in RA as well. Yep, exactly. Yeah, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're crashing, if you're crashing two out of three, then... Um, you know, that is definitely leaving an open area for me to win. Right, exactly. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I've found that fine line of where I need to compete at. And um, he's still discovering that fine line in speed. He's very much a tech racer, very much a slalom and GS racer. Uh, Camp Shure is the best GS skier in the world, without a doubt. He has beat Jesper he has beat everyone he is the the fastest most consistent GS skier in the world but he's still trying to find that fine line in speed you know when and where do you take a little bit of heat off so that you can control the rest of the course um once he figures that out the rest of the world's going to be in trouble but right, right now he's still trying to find that fine line and he's still crashing you know, two out of three races because of it. So, that, so that's Campshire that you're talking about, who who has not found the final yeah. line yet. Exactly, that's Campshire, the double amputee from the Netherlands. Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, Jesper's quick and consistent with everything he does. Man, I've played ping pong against this kid, and he is just consistent. You know, like he doesn't do like I'll be sitting there like throwing crazy spins and stuff at him and yeah I'll, I'll score points but every time he just bop 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 and like that's the same way with his skiing he's like he's not like super fast in any single spot but he's just consistent the entire way and when you're consistently quick in ski racing you're consistently the fastest in the world yeah. So does it does it feel like that sometimes in skiing where you are playing against the playing against the wall kind of thing where you're you're playing ping pong against where you fold the table up, you know, and you're playing against the other side of the table. It just keeps coming back to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely does with these kids just because they're they're quick and consistent, you know, and they're good in just about every different situation. Um, but Rene and I definitely always have a always have a chance of being so we beat them it's just we're just not as consistent <laughs> you know they've they've been they've been doing it for so long um when they go out and they 
go down a slalom course or they go down a GS course, you know, yeah, we can go out and we can beat them by a few tenths. But then that next run, they're going to have the same run. Like they're going to be just as fast as they were the run before. And if I'm four tenths slower, I lose. <laughs> you know, um, they're just consistently fast all the time. And so that's that's where I'm 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 lacking in my technical my technical skills. Um, but if I can put two runs together, I'll win. Exactly. Yeah, because you do have that speed. Yeah, yeah, I have the speed. It's not that I can't beat them. It's just that I need to do it twice. (laughs) (laughs) In GS, you need to do it twice. In downhill, Super G, you need to do it once per race. Exactly, and that's why it's my forte. What about anybody else in the world? Because you haven't seen much of the Japanese gears. They were in some of the early World Cups but you haven't seen much of them and they've been pretty strong throughout the years as well. Um, you know, they're, they're always consistent fast racers and they're always going to throw down in speed. Um, but right now it's a big question mark on whether they even get a chance to train it or not, you know, and COVID has set them back a lot. Um, so we haven't seen much of a showing from them. Um, and they've had some really limited races where, I mean, small, small fields where like the women's field at some of their, their equivalent of NORAM national level races, they didn't even have enough women to have a penalty. They didn't, they only had four women. And I think the men only had five or six in their yep. race. Yeah. So they're having, um, they're having their own troubles and their own difficulties. And that's where COVID setting you know, everyone behind last season, you know, last world cup season, we didn't have a chance to travel or compete. Like it was, I, 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 like I said, I haven't been in a, I, this is the first year I've been in the downhill since Pyeongchang or Sochi, sorry, Sakhalin, Russia, uh, just after Pyeongchang. Right, exactly. And that affects you. I mean, it's just one of those things that downhill, you can't replicate downhill. You, you don't get a chance to go that fast. You can't running downhill. Yeah. And um, the, the other countries, you know, Jesper, Jeroen, these guys, they've had a chance to catch up to me um, and my technical abilities in downhill because of that. Um, because I haven't had a chance to race it or train it and they've been racing and training against each other. They're just constantly getting better. (laughs) Constantly. They're constantly getting better, but, but you are, you are a battler though. I mean, this is, this is a big part of who you are, isn't it? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. It makes it more fun. Like I said before, you know, um, I wouldn't, I would, I would rather a hard fought silver medal than an easy gold any day. Yeah. Uh, but I'm always going to go for gold and that makes it that much sweeter. I think it is. So when, what, when do you, when do you end up leaving to go? How does this, how does this process work until you get into effectively downhill training and then the race? Tomorrow morning we leave for LA. We have a three day quarantine with the team USA and USOPC staff before uh, departing over to China and we have I think a 38 hour 36 hour travel day it is very very long day Uh, we travel across the international date line in 16 different time zones arrive in China take a bus to the village we have to go through a lot of different uh, procedures safety procedures with COVID and quarantine and all kinds of stuff. And then um, when we arrive there, we have uh, a few more days, I think two or three more days. We have to test negative twice within a 72 hour period. We test negative twice in America. And then we have to, oh, we have to, sorry, we have to test negative three times in America. And then we have to test negative twice in China. And then we get on snow and we start training and 
competing. So um, we're looking, I'm looking at hopefully being on snow in China on the 29th. And on the first. Uh, oh, the sorry, the first maybe? Yeah, the first. 28 days, right? In yeah, yeah, February. 28. Sorry, thank you. On the first. Um, I was just counting the days in, in my head currently. So, yeah, yes. no, it's, it's uh, February so, throws you a, a curveball. Yeah. So, the um, yes, the first, and that'll give us three days of training to prepare before downhill training starts on the fourth and then the race on the fifth. So, which three I days believe, of training, three days of downhill training. So, you're actually, which is effectively there, like running a race. It's not like you're, yeah. Okay there will be two different so the way i understand it is there will be two different hills with two different courses set up respectively one for speed training and then one for tech training and hmm. they will shift shift between those while we're there while you're there and so would you do that when you're getting ready for the downhill on the fourth would you actually yep. go and run some tech or no i wouldn't run tech Okay. That's, no, that's, that's run, what I was wondering. Yeah. I'd run speed. Maybe the first day there, I would run tech just to kind of get the, uh, get the initiation and get the feel. And the next two days I would run maybe super G before heading into the downhill or hopefully downhill. But uh, a lot of countries, especially when you're sharing courses set up on a respective slope specifically for that, uh, have issues um, oftentimes running downhill because they feel it's dangerous. So, um, the big, the good agreement most people come to is open super G and I will run an open super G on my downhill ski because I don't care. <laughs> Fair enough. It will be, so that for you will be almost two weeks off snow when you get on snow at in, uh, on the first, right? So that's, uh, that's 13 days. I've been off snow five days, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 11 days. You've been off snow 11 days already. No, five days. Five days, right. So yeah. it was Wednesday of last week, right? Uh, yeah, so five know. days now, my head really Wednesday will be a week. <laughs> right, so yeah. it'll end up being 13 days, yeah. So, so that's, I mean, there's gonna be a little part of that of like, okay, let's let's get the you know get the rust off a little bit here and 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 also get familiar with the conditions a little bit which look like they're look like they're a little bit different over in yeah. over in Beijing too yeah the big thing for me is going to be um learning the learning the snow conditions and how to manage my my ski and myself in these snow conditions and also making sure to adjust my shock accordingly right yeah and and that will be something that you will do yourself there there are none of the toyota racing people who are going over for this nope. event right yep it's me okay cool they uh, they did all the customization and all the uh they buffed my rig out <laughs> switched out all the all the squeaky parts and uh, did some maintenance to it here recently. So it's ready to go. Okay. Well, that's, that's awesome. I mean, this is, this is going to be really interesting to see what's the anticipation level like for you. Um, well, like we talked about a little bit earlier um, for me, uh, the expectations and going into this are I'm, just anticipating going out and doing my best. Um, I don't anticipate a victory. Uh, I don't anticipate uh, a loss. I anticipate going out and giving it my best in competition. Um, it's never about winning. Uh, it's about racing. Um, for me, I would really love to put down a medal this game's just um, to keep my future uh, solidified as as an athlete, because uh, right now I'm building this bed and breakfast, and it's helping me to build my future. And uh, without that, uh, building my future will be a lot more difficult. So, 
So that's all there is to it. I'm going to go is, out and I'm going to do my best. Is the B&B open now? Yep, sure is. Yep, and what's sure your name is. of it again? Golden Standard B&B. Golden Standard B&B. And, yeah. and, and, and is it Palmer, Alaska? Yeah, it's in Palmer, Alaska. All right. Golden Second Standard B&B. Yeah. Palmer, Palmer, Alaska. Well, we will... Uh, Andrew, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I'm excited to watch you. I'm excited to see what you throw down. I think, uh, you know, it's interesting that you say just, just a matter of giving your best. And I don't think that that's something that you're, I don't think that you're often disappointed in yourself. I think that you're, you're often a guy who, who gets out there and gives your best. Is that, is that fair to say? I would say that is fair to say, and that is, that is accurate. Um, I don't think I'm ever really disappointed in my racing. Occasionally I am, um, but typically, typically I'm not. And um, if I, like I said before, I set my goals and I'm goal oriented from the top to the bottom. If I follow those goals, when I get to the bottom, I'm happy with myself. It's all you can hope for. You can make your, you can make your racing really, really complex if you want to. Or you can simplify it, which generally gets your best results. So I think you're going yeah. in the right direction. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, thanks a ton. I really appreciate you joining us here. And we will look forward to watching you. For all of you who've had a chance to listen, please, the greatest gift you can give us is to tell your friends to tune in. Follow us, like us. This will be a traditional podcast that you can listen to and share around. So thank you very much. We'll have another great guest next week. So thanks a ton. Really appreciate it.